Thank you. Uh, well, good morning, everybody, and uh, Krista, thank you for those comments. So, um, so let's see. We got 20 minutes to talk about the U.S. equity outlook from here, and uh, I think we could probably spend 20 hours given the, the uh, some of the most recent circumstances. Let me just start out by following on Krista's comments with a little bit about the setup going into this year and how we've been uh, viewing this through a through an S&P 500 equity lens. Uh, first off, I would say if you think back to a year ago at this time, we were just kind of dealing with uh, the uh, the interpretation of how global geopolitical events were going to transfer into um, the interest rate and then the broader economic outlook in the U.S. And, and essentially, as last year unfolded, what I like to describe is that it was really a year of chasing Fed expectations. A year ago at this time, we might have thought that Fed funds would end the year, um, let's call it right around 1.5%. By the middle part of the year, we are looking for Fed funds to end 22 at uh, about 3%. By the end of 22, we're flirting with do, do Fed funds peak at 5, 5.5%. The influence of that on the broader equity markets was really to um, valuation compress according to where you stood on the duration curve within equities. So very simply, what happened was that your mega cap growth cohort of the S&P 500, the growth component, typically responds more quickly to that interest rate influence, and that's where you saw the real brunt of the uh, valuation compression. The uh, more economic sensitive value side of the market did not feel that as well, but in combination, what you did have was a peak to trough sell-off in the S&P that um, approached 25%. We argued um, back in the middle part of, uh, of 22, so not quite a year ago, that a level in the S&P right around 3650 would define a recession influence priced into the markets. We got that in June. We tested it again in October. So again, the, the, the setup going into this year, in our view, was that the S&P 500 was essentially pricing in recession risk uh, as a function of the multiple compression of last year. That begins to set up for how we think about this year. Now, I know we have the current bank circumstance as a, as a, a sort of cause de celeb that's going to continue to be front and center. We don't know how it's going to play out in many, many aspects. I think the, the starting point from our view is, is very simple. We have to expect that credit conditions from here probably tighten in excess of what they have been doing already and may actually exert some influence on the broader economic landscape that takes ultimately some pressure off the Fed. Now, we got the Fed coming up this week. Um, the city house views are for a 25 basis point hike. Um, I think the, the big question du jour is going to be, you know, how does the Fed then position after that? And the, uh, an unfolding debate as to what degree is, does expected tightening of credit conditions do some of the Fed's work for us. Now, going into this year, and this is kind of to pull it all together and, and setting things up, and I apologize for this slide being being small, I'll, I'll try to summarize what we're looking at here, is that we presumed a flattish year for all of uh, 2023. Um, we went into the fourth quarter of last year thinking we ended end, would end the year around 4,000. We got there by mid-December, market pulled back. We went into this year thinking we probably have a flattish year, um, and but with an, a, a weaker start to the year, so we had used a first half projection of 3,700. Turns out none of that's changed. We did get off to a stronger start as um, the market got, um, I think, took some solace that Fed funds might actually show signs of peaking as we saw some elements of inflation begin to plateau, potentially roll over. Um, and that's kind of led to a few different trading dynamics within the broader equity markets uh, so far this year. 
So again, high-level takeaway here, no change in our view, knowing what we know about the, uh, the current bank circumstance. Again, presumption number one is that we do see some tightening in credit condi conditions. Presumption number two is that ultimately that translates into a little bit more earnings risk uh, than might have otherwise been the case. Now, in thinking about the S&P 500, the broader equity markets in particular, this recession question keeps coming up. And are we going to go into recession or not? Are we going to be soft landing or hard landing? Um, you know, I've, I've been in the equity markets for 40 years now, actually going on this month. And, and what I would say is that, you know, my high-level takeaway on this is that why do recessions matter? Recessions simply matter um, in, in, in the construct that they influence earnings trajectories and earnings levels. They typically come with a value, uh, 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 an earnings uh, <laughs> interest rate response, and then that ultimately leads to a valuation outcome. So when we think about the setup going into this year, recession or not, soft landing, hard landing, um, you know, mild recession, severe recession, we look at it most pointedly through an earnings lens and then some expectation of how the interest rate response is going to play out, what that means for valuations. What's probably too small to see here is that we've laid out a scenario analysis that supports our 4,000 target for the S&P. Essentially, we'll look at earnings conditions in a soft landing environment, in a mild recession, and then severe recession. Our base case is mild recession, and it has been, honestly, since the middle part of 22. And whether we see it in an MBER definition or whether we see it in the underlying earnings circumstance across sectors is really sort of the uh, discussion point in our view. Um, now, the good news from our perch is that in a mild recession outcome, we're expecting that the earnings outlook for the S&P 500 is not going to be as severe as is typical for previous recession circumstances. Essentially, we're th we're th we think that the S&P 500 can show an earnings degradation of about 3% this year. Um, most would say, but come on, in, in historical recession circumstances, you'll tend to see earnings fall off in the neighborhood of 20, in some cases 30%. I'd say, yeah, I get that. But also, you have to recognize that in previous recessions, they each have their own narrative around them. And typically, in previous, previous recessions, you see a sector that tends to lose the bulk of its earnings. So in the GFC, for example, it was the, uh, the financials and the tech bubble. It was the tech sector. I like to draw an analogy back to the SNL crisis um, that many people that I speak with barely remember. Um, and, and what the reminder there is is that um, I wouldn't call it a, a, a very clear parallel to what we're happening right now, but there are some similarities. Essentially, you had that component of the financial system that was responsible for making mortgages invest in alternate investments, whether it was high yield or, or real estate. Um, ultimately, you had a, a crisis of confidence that led to an implosion of the SNL crisis, and many of us barely remember it anymore. Um, the analogy here is uh, on the banking system is like you know, when you get a crisis of confidence, it, 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 it kind of it, it kind of leads to a couple of outcomes. Right now, we're dealing with this deposit circumstance. What we're all eyes and ears on are what the what the follow-on implications will be. Again, um, without knowing or having a real clear line of sight on that, our our presumption is that we have to presume again, as I mentioned earlier, um, you know, a tightening of credit conditions further from what has already been unfolding. And with that, we have to expect a little bit more um, uh, earnings degradation, particularly in the financial sector. So again, what I'm identifying here is, is um, a delineation between what we'll call a mild recession 
which aligns more or less with our price targets for the S&P 500, the risk as we see tightening credit conditions and the influence of the Fed on this becomes whether we have to increase our, our probability of a more severe recession, which right now we give 15% to. Soft landing had been in vogue to start the year. You began to see that in with the rotation into the mega cap growth component of the S&P. That's now taken a back seat, but it's very interesting in the way the past week has unfolded. While we're in incrementally concerned about the banking system, essentially um, what the rotation under the market has done is provide some stability. Why? Well, essentially, over the past week, you've seen the economic sensitive side of the market. So this is going to be financials, energy, materials, and industrials significantly underperformed. But that's been offset by your mega cap growth or growth sectors of the market, which have been a relative outperformer. And you've seen rotation back to your traditional defensive sectors. That's going to be healthcare, staples, utilities. We even like to put real estate in there. The balancing of these three forces within the market has led to a little bit of stability here. And that's what we're taking a little bit of solace in as we kind of wind through uh, this, this financial system narrative. Now, um, to take this the next step, when we look at the valuation circumstance for the S&P 500, we've developed our own sort of fair value model. And uh, what we're doing here is aligning the current model, which says that the S&P can, can handle a 14 to 19 times valuation pretty simply. We're towards the hand, high end of that right now, around 18 times falls within our valuation um, uh, backdrop for the market. So we think we're in pretty good position to argue um, you know, that, that the market is, is fairly valued around a, a 4,000 level or so in the S&P. Now again, when you begin to introduce a more severe recession circumstance, that's where we have to watch, for, in our view, a little bit uh, further degradation in valuations. But for now, we think we're in pretty good shape. We think the S&P can trade around 18, 19 times earnings this year. Our single point estimate for the S&P is 213 uh, for 2023, and that gets you roughly to our 4,000 target. So the sum summary of this is we want to be, you know, sort of a, a buyer on further weakness towards the 3,700 level. As we move through 4,000, 4,100 as earlier in the year, I think we get a little bit more of a, of, a, of a sell signal because in that scenario, we begin to trade outside of our fair value lens, and we think essentially what happens is that the market runs into a valuation headwind. Now, I, I mentioned earnings, and I, I want to dive into this. It might be a little bit in the weeds, but I think it's important to kind of keep a focus on. Um, as I mentioned earlier, in previous recessions, many will say, come on, Scott, you know, multiple, typically what happens in recessions is earnings fall 20%, as I mentioned earlier. We think it's going to be more resilient this year, and there are a couple of reasons for that, but probably first and foremost is that I think we have to acknowledge that um, the way that sectors respond to the economic conditions from an earnings perspective is essentially a rolling um, perspective where certain sectors are feeling it earlier, other sectors might feel it later. But what you end up getting is a balancing act where the combination of those mutes the aggregate index level response. So essentially what we're arguing here, as I mentioned earlier, is that you can, if you can look at the, uh, the middle column with the uh, consensus for 2023 and then where our, uh, our top-down models take us is that, yes, we are looking for, I think, some earnings risk to various sectors, at least as far as expectations go. But as they roll through at different times, we think we end up with the more muted index response. Now, um, I want to shift to a little bit different point here. As we are, here we are just not quite ending Q1. We're already talking about the 24 implication. 
And one of the issues that we're increasingly beginning to grapple with is, okay, if we're right in that the earnings response to recession concern is not as bad as feared this year, then what does that leave for the opportunity on the other side of that? And so what we're suggesting here is as we look into 2024 on a very preliminary basis, currently bottom-up consensus is around 12%. Our top-down models would say that's probably aggressive. Uh, we're using a, a single-point estimate of plus 6%. The point here, though, is that typically what happens in a recession is that you get the, earning, the negative earnings response, which kind of leads to the, the market response in a recession. Then usually you get the risk-on trade on the other side as earnings come, uh, are perceived to come snapping back, usually in response to a natural bottoming of the uh, economic condition and presumably with some help from central bank accommodation. In our view, what, what, what unfolds here is that we, we, that we have to be concerned that we have a slower growth earnings backdrop for the S&P over the next couple of years. And so what we're suggesting is a muted index response, but we're also expecting much more sector level, industry group, and single stock dispersion under the surface. So the key takeaway here is that we think the index itself, the S&P 500, can, can trade in a fairly narrow band, let's call it 3,700, 4,100 on the high side. Under the surface, we expect to see much more sector and then single stock dispersion, which was at work last week when, when as I mentioned, you see the drawdowns in some of the economic sensitive sectors offset by um, the, the relative performance on defensives and growth. And I think what I want to kind of get to next on this is that uh, this chart on the right, again, I apologize, it's a little bit hard for you all to see, but essentially what we're showing is as how we went through last year, you saw this evolving influence between different sectors' earnings growth and their contribution to index level growth. So essentially that chart, that line going up uh, to the top of that chart, that's your energy sector. So very clear that last year's response to a lot of the geopoliticals was, uh, I think, a real tailwind for energy sector earnings. At the bottom of that chart, it's kind of interesting, that's your financial sector. So last year, financial sector earnings were negative and, and were a drag on the broader S&P. Pardon me, broader S&P. The other sector was kind of mired in between. The point here is it underscores that we have to be sensitive to the evolving nature of the sector dynamics that actually comprise the S&P. Um, now, this introduces another concept that I want to focus on, and it's the changing nature of the S&P. I'm going to get to a conclusion on this in just a second, but the point I want to make here is that um, you know, I think there's a disconnect between the way many observers will look at the S&P 500 relative to the under underlying economic condition. Essentially, the presumption is economy is slowing, S&P 500 has got to feel it, U.S. equities have to feel it. What we're suggesting is that there's an offset, and that is that the nature of the S&P 500 itself has evolved over the past 20 years such that it may not be as representative of the underlying economic condition as you think. In fact, it may actually be somewhat defensive. Bottom line, what happens over the past 20 years is that you see the economic sensitive component of the S&P move from roughly 50% of the index to about 35% now. That 15% has been picked up by the growth side of the market, which again will tend to be a little bit more economically sensitive by nature, but it also will benefit more directly from the interest rate trajectory. Okay, and this is that 
Um, and this is that duration concept that I mentioned earlier. So essentially, the, the takeaway of this chart is underlying sector contribution to S&P earnings is such that the economic sensitive component isn't quite as big as, as you think relative to the growth dynamic. A, a fun stat that I like to use is that your two largest companies within the S&P 500, you can, most of you can pr probably guess what they are, comprise about the same percentage of the S&P 500 as the total industrial and energy sectors combined. Okay, so it just gives you a sense of how important the concentration issue as this growth dynamic has unfolded over the past decade has become. Now, this is a really messy chart, but let me explain it. We're trying to prove a point here. The point we're proving is that when you look at the correlation um, of economic activity to underlying earnings growth, um, essentially, if you look at the uh, equal weighted S&P 500, it gets you a correlation that's less than 0.5. So it's important, but not, not clearly significant. When you look at the correlation of the top 20 weights within the S&P, it's a much lower correlation. Again, it's to make this point that over the past decade, at least since the GFC, we've seen this mega cap growth cohort kick in and become an influence on the broader S&P 500, and it's lessened at the margin some of the traditional economic sensitivity. That's the setup to now. We've got two and a half minutes left here. I want to kind of lead, I want, want to finish with a, uh, a, I think a really important in, uh, regime change call that we think will be of interest to many of you. And that is very simply, we're arguing, and my experience has been that during bear markets or recessions, it's very common to see a transition of leadership within the, uh, the broader equity markets. We think over the next couple of years, a similar transition is going to occur this time. And the, essentially, the transition is going to be away from the mega cap growth leadership of the past decade um, and toward a more economic sensitive bias within the S&P. So essentially, we've bottled as an example that the tech weight within the S&P is going to move from somewhere around 26, 28% recently down to 18, 19%. It's been at this level historically. And what, what picks up some of that weight? Well, we have it dispersed among industrials first and then energy and then materials. Essentially, what happens is that you lose the, the low interest rate, no interest rate tailwind to valuations of the past decade for the mega cap growers, they also run into a, large, a law of large numbers where as they get larger, it gets more difficult to show meaningful growth off of that larger base. And as we move forward from here, we're looking at, let's call it um, a higher than previous interest rate regime and probably a higher than previous inflation regime. That provides a valuation headwind for that component that had benefited for the past decade. Uh, now, what's the narrative that supports the, uh, the economic sensitive side? It's essentially, it's all the things that you guys will know more about than I will. Um, you begin to lose a little bit of reliance on, uh, on offshore manufacturing to the Asian um, uh, you know, uh, part, part of the geography. At the same time, you get a bit of a reindustrialization, supply chain, global supply chain diversification. And then, you know, sustainable spending becomes an icing on the cake tailwind for that. So essentially, the argument here is as, as we move forward over a longer period of time, we're going to begin to see, a, as I said, sort of a, a transition away from this mega cap growth leadership of the past decade towards um, a much more of an economic sensitive uh, a bias towards the markets. This is underscored in our, on, our, our ongoing views. We've, we've been pretty constructive on in the industrials and, and energy components of the S&P going into this year. 
Um, I, again, I, I, I do have to kind of acknowledge here that on a short-term basis, the industrial component has held in brilliantly from a fundamental perspective. We think longer term, our, our transition thesis makes a lot of sense and we get pretty good traction in talking to clients. Intermediate term, we, have to, we do have to expect as we go into the second half of the year, we're probably gonna face some fundamental issues around that component of the market and we view that from a longer term perspective as a buying opportunity. Um, I just hit zero on the, uh, on the clock. I'd like to thank you all for your attention this morning. Hope you enjoy the rest of the conference and uh, please feel free to reach out via email or otherwise uh, if you have any questions on, on uh, our discussion this morning. So thank you.